What a web play. This is George G. And the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, strong and powerful Jonathan Clements. Jonathan, are you ready to do this? I am, George. It's great to be with you again. Yeah, excited to have you back on. Let's go. Jonathan is a writer. He wrote for the Wall Street Journal for over 18 years. He's the founder and editor of The Humble Dollar. He's the author of seven books. And his newest is My Money Journey, How 30 People Found Financial Freedom. And you can too. Jonathan, tell us about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you put pen to paper for this book. Well, that's three questions in one, George. So let me let me start with the book, and then we can back into the other stuff. So the book, as you said, is called My Money Journey. And what it is is 30 people who write for Humble Dollar often or occasionally contributed essays describing their financial journey, how they reached financial freedom. And it is a I think, a fascinating look at how everyday Americans handle their money, how even though we all make mistakes, even though we all have struggles, even with all that, if we are persistent, we can reach financial freedom. And that's what the book tells you. These 30 stories of how people managed to accumulate enough money so that essentially their time is their own. And one of the things that's unusual about the book is that we rarely talk honestly about money. You know, people will talk about the stock market in general. They will talk about, you know, careers in general, but will they actually tell you what they make, what their salary is, what the size of their portfolio is, what specific investments they own, and what horrendous mistakes they made? Well, some of the writers who contributed to my money journey do just that. It is uh it it has always been and remains a very, very, very personal thing and almost uncomfortable and, and for a lot of people clearly uncomfortable. Why why do you think that the folks, these thirty people, some of them are all of them, were were so open? I think it starts with the website. I mean humbledollar.com uh, which I launched at the end of 2016, most of the writers who contribute to the site are amateur writers. They, they, yes, there are some financial planners and financial advisors who write essays for the site, but most of them are just everyday Americans. And what I say to them is, you may not be an expert on the financial world, but you are an expert on your own life. So if you talk about the things that have occurred with your personal finances, you can speak with authority. And so that's what I encourage the contributors to do, to write about their own financial lives. And as I say to them, if you're not comfortable talking about your own financial life, then this is not the site for you to be writing for. So coming into this book, the contributors were all used to talking about their own finances. So it wasn't a huge step to go a little bit further and describe their entire financial journey. Ego is uh, this this ever-present, really important thing to be considered and potentially be overcome, to be lived with. Why humble dollar? Is it speaking to ego? Going back to the 1990s when I began as a columnist at the Wall Street Journal, one of the things that I preached relentlessly, perhaps, you know, we should really say repetitively, uh, was that you cannot beat the market. The, the surest 
way to success is simply to accept the returns of the financial markets by buying broad-based index funds. So that strategy, coupled with things like being aware of the behavioral mistakes that we make, saving diligently, these sorts of humble steps are the way to financial freedom. You know, if you talk to people about money, you know, most people will tell you about their winners, about their successes. They're very reluctant to tell you about their losers. With Humble Dollar, what we're, I'm trying to do is to get people to think of money from a different direction, to flip the, the script, to say, yes, you know, if I am humble, if I accept the returns of the financial markets, if I live beneath my means, if I make sure I have the right insurance, if I only take the risks that I really need to take, I will be financially successful. A humble approach to personal finance is more likely to lead success than one that comes from, as you put it, a place of ego. Can it really be that simple? It really can be this, that simple. You know, managing money is simple, but it is never easy. And the part that isn't easy is the behavioral stuff. We grow overconfident when markets climb. You know, we can't resist the impulse to splurge. You know, we grow fearful during market declines. These are the things that implode our financial progress. But if we can hold those behavioral demons at bay and pursue the humble course towards managing money, success, not immediately, not today, not tomorrow, but over a career of careful money management and diligent saving, that will be yours. Slow and steady does in fact win the race. Do we have a desire for complexity? Do we want to make it harder? Do I want to get rich and that why that that's that, that that's 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 why I screw up? So I think there are a number of reasons why people end up with finances that are overly complicated. And one of the things that people will learn from reading my money journey is that you know, the road to success does not have to involve complexity. And yet many people do end up with complexity. One is because of Wall Street. You know, the more complex a financial solution, the more money Wall Street makes. If it's a simple investment product like a broad-based index fund, Wall Street makes almost nothing. But if it's some complicated, actively managed fund, throw in a few options and futures, you know, maybe layer it over some sort of insurance contract, and suddenly you get this very expensive product that even the people who sell them don't fully understand. So that's one reason why people end up with complex solutions. But the other is that people assume that things that are complicated are sophisticated. And people like to be sophisticated. They like to appear clever. It, it does feed their ego. And it does take humility to say, hey, I don't need the complicated solution. I can get to my financial goals with simple investment products. And in fact, I will get there faster. That's that's something I've been spending a lot of time thinking. It's just been sort of bouncing around my head is the idea that, you know, what what would I prefer to appear to be wealthy or do I want to be wealthy? Do I want to, and this is, do I want to be a successful investor or do I want to appear to be a successful investor? Oh yes. It's, you know, this is another thing that crops up in the book. I mean, the, you know, the appearance of wealth is the mortal enemy of wealth. <laughs> the, most of the people 
who contributed the book, and maybe all of the people who contributed the book, are super diligent savers. They are the millionaire next door who, you know, you know, wears doesn't wear designer clothes, doesn't drive a European luxury sedan, doesn't live in the biggest house in the neighborhood. And this is the reason that they are wealthy. Because, you know, if you see a couple, you know, who live in the mega mansion, you know, with the his and her BMWs in the driveway and this carefully manicured lawn, if you see that couple, there's a good chance that they are loaded to the gills with debt <laughs> and they sit around at night wondering how they're going to pay the bills. There's certainly I, I see immense value in learning from people who are who are really prominent, you know, famous, famous people and find it to be really relatable when I can hear from somebody that I can, like I said, kind of relate to. Um, mm-hmm. Was that one of the one of the drivers for putting this book together? I think that hearing stories is the way that we learn and the way that we pass values down through the generations. You know, we all know that in many ways, statistics give a, more accurately depict the world than stories do, than anecdotal evidence. Nonetheless, anecdotal evidence is much more powerful than statistics. You know, tell me a good story and I'll remember it. Tell me some dazzling number and I've forgotten it within five minutes. So yes, hearing stories about people who have done the mundane things necessary in order to grow wealthy and you know gain their financial freedom, I believe is is very powerful. It may not be an exact replica of the best way to grow rich, but it, it'll be the story that will inspire you and make it you realize that yes, this is something that I too can do. Now you you selected thirty people. Why 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 thirty? Well, I already had one because I, I contributed an essay, so I was down to twenty nine. And George, it was not very complicated. I sent out a mass email to uh, the people who had been contributing to Humble Dollar, and I said, "Hey." Would you like to contribute to this book? And you know, I didn't know how many people would said yes, but as it as it turned out, twenty nine other people said yes, and that's how I ended up with the thirty essays. Uh, from there, you know, they had to put up with uh, you know a couple of different edits from me to make sure that you know everything was accurate, that the stories were compelling, and so on. Um, and for many, it was it was a difficult exercise. I mean, to sit down. And think about your life and how you got from A to B and put it in terms that the rest of the world will find compelling is is not an easy exercise. You have to reflect on your life, on the, the things you did right and the things that you did wrong. And in fact, one of the things that I do in the book right at the end is say that if anybody wants to take a shot at writing their mm. money journey and send me a copy. I will consider publishing it. Uh, what I'm looking for are essays of sort of two to 3,000 words. You know, these are not essays about your thoughts about the financial markets. These are essays about what you have done financially, where you're willing to talk about the nitty-gritty of how you managed to make financial progress. And I'm hoping the one of the things that comes out of this book is that I'll have a whole new series of essays that I can then publish on Humble Dollar. Oh, I love it! What a what a wonderful exercise to uh, 
to to go through. And even if you don't even ever send it in to Jonathan, just putting pen to paper and starting to think about, yeah, you know what? Maybe I am unique here or there. It is sort of counterintuitive to think of ourselves, specifically around money, as as doing something that's unique. But to your point, we all have unique journeys. And I would say that you know when you sit down and you write your financial journey, what you're really writing is your life journey because you name almost any topic and there is a financial angle to it. You know, having children, getting married, death, everything has financial implications. So when you write your financial journey, you're really writing your life journey and beyond, you know, making you reflect on your life and learn the lessons of it. This is a valuable record that your children, your great, your grandchildren will appreciate reading. I mean, I wish I knew more about my great grandparents. I have a few photographs, but I don't really know the full details of their life. Would I like to read 2000 words that they wrote about their life and what occurred, the highlights, the, you know, the low moments? Sure. I'd love to have that. So even if you don't send your essay to me, you know, write it, you know, put it with your other important papers and maybe, you know, decades and decades from now, your family will still be reading about you. You know, the only immortality we have in this life is the memory of others. And you can ensure that you are remembered if you write your life story and you pass it on to, you know, your children, your nephews, your nieces, whoever is in your family. Yeah, I think that we would all cherish that from our parents and our great grandparents and even great, great grandparents to be able to have that. I think that that'd be a really special thing. In terms of writing process, um, for the 18 years that, that you were writing for the Wall Street Journal, with, which I imagine you had pretty serious deadlines, and now where we are today, how is, tell us a little bit about your process. I find that the longer I take over a piece, the better it gets. So while I don't encourage people to procrastinate, um, what I do generally say is that you should at least follow the three-day rule. And the three-day rule is this. Day one, you bang out a great first draft. You know, don't worry too much about you know, whether every sentence is beautifully constructed. Just get it down on paper. Then day two, you spend polishing it up. You, know, you really want to try and make those sentences sing. You want to look at it with the eyes of somebody who's coming to this fresh. You know, think about the reader. What, what will the reader make of this? Will they understand what you're saying? You know, will Are you telling them all the necessary details? And then day three is the day where you go through, you double check everything. You make sure that you know there are no spelling mistakes, make sure everybody's names are spelled correctly and so on. Because, you know, I'll tell you from decades as a writer, you know, if you want to lose the trust of your readers, just make a stupid mistake. And immediately your credibility is gone and the entire piece is called into question. And I'll just tell you one really small example. Warren Buffett may be one of the richest men in America, but it does seem that half the population cannot spell his last name. Mm -hmm. 
I have seen Buffett's name with just a single T at the end <laughs> so frequently. I mean, it, it's unbelievable, George. It's unbelievable. And whenever I see that, my immediate reaction is whoever is writing this really doesn't know what they're doing. That may be unfair, but the fact is if you can't spell Warren Buffett's last name correctly, the rest of the piece is in doubt. Yeah, well, fair enough. I, I appreciate that very much. Do you have uh, opinions about or thoughts on actual pen and paper versus screen and typing? Yeah, at this point, I do everything on uh, on my laptop. I've long since given, given up doing pen and paper. Uh, and in fact, if anybody's seen my handwriting of late, they, they will realize that I very rarely put pen to paper. <laughs> There's, 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 there's practical uses for it. I get it. Um, we're probably, this is beyond the scope of our conversation today, but while I have you, your thoughts on chat GPT, artificial intelligence. I don't have strong opinions on that, George, but I think that, you know, whether we like it or not, this is going to be part of our lives and, you know, we better get used to it and, and come to understand, you know, what it can do and what the limitations are. Um, yeah, I believe that, you know, artificial intelligence is going to be a huge part of the future. Got it. Well, we talked about how anybody is capable of, of being good with money. Uh, can anybody be a good writer? That's an interesting question. I think everybody can be a better writer, including me. And one of the best ways to become a better writer is to become a more diligent reader. Uh, if you read a lot, you'll become a better writer. And I think that that is you know, the first step to becoming a better writer is just to make sure that you read widely. And then the second is to not be like your five-year-old when he or she does a picture. You know, a five-year-old will pull out a piece of paper, do a drawing in two minutes, you know, with crayons, and then hand it to the parent and say, you know, let's frame this. <laughs> Once you've, you've read widely and then you start to write, Take your time. Nothing is going to be perfect on the first draft. I love it. At least recognize or adhere to that three-day rule that Jonathan was talking about earlier. I love it. Well, Jonathan, thank you so much for coming back on. Where can people learn more about you? Where can they find the Humble Dollar? And where can they get their copy of My Money Journey, How 30 People Found Financial Freedom? And you can too. So I would encourage people to go to humbledollar.com. Uh, the site is completely free. We are supported solely by advertising and by donations from readers. Uh, we have a free twice-weekly newsletter that you can sign up for. Uh, we don't sell our email list. We don't do affiliate marketing relationships, none of that nonsense. All we do is run it based on donations and advertising and everything is free to the reader. And I know you'll be shocked by this, George, but the book, My Money Journey, is available on Amazon. <laughs> Shocking indeed. <laughs>
Hope you enjoyed this as much as I did. Show Jonathan your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas. Go to humbledollar.com and check out all the great resources that are on the site. And you can find a handful of contributions from yours truly. Sign up for the weekly or the twice weekly newsletter as well. I know how just I know how valuable it is. And probably I'm sure that you got a good feel for Jonathan and the way he likes to communicate. Uh, from our time together today and pick up your copy of My Money Journey at Humble Dollar or you can go on Amazon wherever you like to buy your books. Thanks again, Jonathan. All right. My pleasure. Thank you, George. And until next time, remember, do your part by doing your best.